3: Loaded hour two there. And guests, if you're just waking up with us, uh, you can go hear us talk with John Morosi about the Major League Baseball cheating scandal. And then we had Chris Mannix, who's our NBA insider, join us as well. All that was in hour two. We opened up the program talking about uh, the decision of Luke Keekley to retire, that happened last night in the event. You missed it last night. Keekley released a statement through the Carolina Panthers social media channels. Here's a couple of cuts of that. He retires at the age of 28.
1: It's never the right time to step away, but now is the right time for me. And it's a tough decision. I've thought about it a lot, and I think now is, is, is the right chance for me to, to move on. For me now is the right opportunity to to move in a different direction, and you know there's only one way to play this game since I was a little kid is is to play fast and play physical and play strong. And at this point, I don't know if I'm able to do that anymore.
3: So uh, Luke Keekley, 28, and he joins obviously recently Rob Gronkowski and Andrew Luck as relatively young guys under the age of 30 who have retired, and joins Patrick Willis, uh, a 49er linebacker who was extraordinaire as well as Calvin Johnson, wide receiver with the Detroit Lions, both of whom walked away at uh, relatively young ages as well. The amount that these guys put their bodies through in order to play NFL football, I think, is drastically underrated by the average fan out there. And uh, as the money has increased and the amount of value that these guys can get out of their bodies uh, has increased as well. Some of them have been willing to walk away from several million dollars in order to have their health, which uh, obviously matters a great deal. But for the age of 28, uh, for Luke Keekley to let go of his career, I think with the addition of Matt Rule and the uh, the talk that Joe Brady is going to be his offensive coordinator uh, with the Carolina Panthers, it's an interesting decision that the Panthers are now faced with. Could it make sense, just tossing it out there, with Luke Keekley retiring – it almost feels like the end of that era of the Carolina Panthers, which culminated in the 17-1 and Cam Newton MVP season when they lost to the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. It kind of feels like that sort of era is over for them. And could this factor in in some way with the decision going forward to be made about Cam Newton's future? He's got one year left on his deal, Cam Newton does. There are a lot of different guys that are available out there as free agents, but I'll just float this idea. If you were the Carolina Panthers and you are bringing in Joe Brady and you've got Matt Rule who has been coaching in college football for the last three years, who could be more impressed than them by what they have seen from Joe Burrow? I'm not necessarily saying it makes sense, given what the price might be. But don't you have to at least explore the idea with the Cincinnati Bengals of potentially trading up if you're the Panthers and you could move on from Cam Newton? Go get Joe Burrow, put him together with Christian McCaffrey, and start building a new team going forward around that duo. Now that Luke Keekley is hanging up, he's the defensive leader of that team, the offensive leader of that team, was Cam Newton, maybe it's time to go ahead and turn the page and start to think about the future. At least an idea that I would say is worth contemplating since you're bringing in Joe Brady. And by the way, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, how in the world do you let someone else get Joe Brady if you are planning to go get Joe Burrow? That duo is the most successful college quarterback and offensive coordinator duo in the history of college football. Why would you not do everything if you're the Bengals to ensure that the guy you are taking number one overall would potentially be as successful as possible? It seems like a no-brainer to me. I said this yesterday on the program with Joel Klatt. I said it seems like a no-brainer to me that you would go get Joe Brady if you could, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. So if you're not going to do that, maybe the Bengals aren't sold on... The idea of Joe Burrow. Maybe they would rather have Chase Young. Maybe they would be willing to trade back a bit with the Carolina Panthers or some other team and let them take Joe Burrow and maybe the Bengals would be more comfortable drafting Chase Young as the defensive end. I don't know. We'll have lots of time to talk about this in the next several months as the NFL draft plays out. Right now, Joe Burrow is a prohibitive favorite to be the overall number one pick. But if you're the Bengals and you're going to take him number one overall, I don't understand how you let Joe Brady go sign with somebody else. If I'm Zach Taylor and I'm the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, I want the person that is going to make Joe Burrow the most comfortable possible. And that would seem Joe, to be Joe Brady, especially if he's coming in and he's willing to be an offensive coordinator. But that is a story that will be worth following. Maybe the Luke Kuechly decision could have an impact on Cam Newton. Interestingly, some of us, including me, thought that Cam Newton might retire. It ends up being Luke Kuechly. Uh, we'll see what the market is for Cam Newton, and also what Matt Rule's decision is going to be with Cam Newton. He's been very non-committal so far. Major League Baseball: the the fallout of their cheating scandal continues. Uh, Cora has been let go by the Boston Red Sox. That means two managers now gone, both highly successful. The Red Sox and the Rock and the. Uh, and the Astros, both making the decision to let their guys go, as well as a general manager, whether or not that fallout will continue. We talked a lot about that with John Morosi in Hour 2. Encourage you to go download the podcast and make sure you don't miss any of that. And uh, we haven't talked about, until today, the latest Antonio Brown ridiculousness. Um, And uh, that was because, uh, and Danny G, you can speak to this, like I said, no, no, no. We're not going to dive into the Antonio Brown stuff when there's actual games to discuss. Monday, we did effectively three hours all about the four divisional round playoff games in the NFL, and talking a little bit about the upcoming uh, games for uh, for the the title game between Clemson and LSU. While I was down in New Orleans yesterday, in New Orleans, we did the the show all about LSU's big win, Joe Burrow, everything surrounding that game. And I said, go ahead and cut up the Antonio Brown audio. We will discuss it when we come back on Wednesday. We did it an hour one. For those of you who didn't hear this, did this get a lot of play? Uh, I don't know because I didn't have my television on very much while I was traveling in New Orleans and everything else. Was this uh, was this video shared and discussed a lot on television uh, around, uh, around Antonio Brown?
4: Yeah, it seemed like it was on a one-day delay. But it has been discussed. Okay. So,
3: because I, I, again, sometimes when you're on the road, and I feel like I'm on the road a lot, um, you know, especially when you're at a big game, you're kind of all in on the game there. And by the way, I should mention we'll be live for a week down in South Florida at the uh, convention center for for the Super Bowl in just a couple of weeks. And we're going to be talking about the AFC and the NFC championship games a lot on Thursday and Friday on uh, this program as we get ready for Titans Chiefs as well as Packers 49ers, uh, the final two uh, games uh, final two games on Sunday. And then we just got the Super Bowl left. So there's only three games left in the NFL. But a guy who had been such a huge part of the NFL, and honestly a guy who started off the season and impacted the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Oakland Raiders, the uh, the New England Patriots, all of them in some way in this year in the Saints, frankly, because he came in for a tryout recently. Even the Bills. Yeah, the Bills. Good point, because the Bills, uh, I'm probably thinking they're lucky stars that they didn't end up uh, actually going through with that uh, trade. But it seems increasingly likely that Antonio Brown has allowed his his off-the-field behavior to derail his on-the-field career. And after this video... I don't see any way that Antonio Brown is ever going to be employed in the NFL again. And look, there have been a lot of different elements where you could say this is not good for Antonio Brown's career. But I think we've actually reached the point where virtually no one anywhere will defend anything going on with Antonio Brown. This is what happened. Here's the scene. If you haven't heard this audio, and it's it's a little bit graphic, so if you've got young kids, you can turn down the, the the radio a little bit, but I want you to hear it so you know what actually is going on. Antonio Brown has the police arrive at his home in Hollywood, Florida for a dispute that he's involved in with uh, with his, the, the mother of his children, and uh, he is screaming and yelling and insulting uh, the police officers who have showed up at his property here is what that sounds like.
5: People can't do nothing. You f- white fish ball, Get the f- out of here, you bitch. Come on, Polo. Get the f- out of here. The police can't have that. You bitch ass law. Get the out of here, you put. Get the out of here. Get the f- on f- my property, you put. F- out of here. I love you, Poppy. I love you. Go in them bitch ass police. Get the f- out of here. Bitch ass little cop. Look at the little cop. You wish you could take me, you bitch ass out of here yeah get in the back of the police car fishbowl and you ain't leaving with shit. bitch get the out of here you bum ass sorry bitch trying to come to steal bitch you're gonna leave in the police car fuck out of here hollywood police get the out of here bitch ass, get out of here fuck out of here can't even get my key get the out of here bitch, ass-
3: i think we kind of get the end in- this is streaming live on instagram uh, there's a collection of police officers that came to Antonio Brown's home. Uh, his, his, uh, the mother of his children is there. He's insulting her. His little kids are there as well. I mean, this is just a career that's gone completely off the rails. And I think we owe an apology to Ben Roethlisberger. I think we owe an apology to Mike Tomlin. This guy has lost his marbles. He's lost his mind. And the only person, by the way, We'll open up phone lines if anybody out there in America is still willing to defend Antonio Brown. The only person I saw that said anything positive about Antonio Brown at all was actually just somebody who said, oh, Clay Travis, he's talking bad about black athletes. Very fitting for a racist, Trump-supporting jackass. Now, I don't know. uh, That's the uh, the only positive in any way I heard for Antonio Brown. Wouldn't it be racist if I didn't talk bad about Antonio Brown because he's black? If you listen to the radio show very often, or you listen to me in general, what I try to do is treat everybody the exact same. And there is a bigotry of low expectations when you don't criticize someone because of their race. Regardless of whether Antonio Brown is Asian, Hispanic, black, white, mixed, whatever he is, this is inappropriate behavior. And I think one of the things that we've kind of created in the world of sports is people are afraid of saying what they actually think because they're afraid somebody out there is going to be like, oh, that's racist. Well, Antonio Brown is a clown, regardless of what color he is. And his treatment of police is, frankly, unacceptable. And I think we need to get back to establishing standards of behavior for all people Athletes, non-athletes, rich, poor, just basic standards of human decency. And Antonio Brown right now doesn't rise up to the level of basically human decent. I mean, regardless of who he's treating and who he's talking to, whether it's a police officer or just a normal person who is out on the street outside of his property. And I think this is a cautionary tale in general because Antonio Brown seems to believe that he is the star of some sort of contorted reality show. And, uh, and there certainly is a, I would say, like almost a, a fascination, ghoulish sort of fascination with watching a traffic accident. You know how when you're on the road, as you drive by, if there's a bad traffic accident, even after it's been cleared off the side of the road, traffic moves slowly. People want to rubberneck. They want to look off to the side of the road and see that disaster because there's a perverse attraction to seeing something bad happen. That's what Antonio Brown is right now. People are slowing down as they drive past and kind of looking over at him, rubbernecking askance in disbelief over what he's done to his life. And I think it's a really cautionary tale because social media, I think, has fed into whatever derangement he's got in his mind right now. And it's led him to believe that he is the star of his own uh, really perverse reality show. And In some way, that's true because he's got the ability to walk around outside of his house on Instagram Live as he's screaming at police officers and showing the seedy underbelly of his drama in his life. The problem is, I think he's lost all grip on reality because I don't even think he realizes how bad he looks to people whose brains function in a normal way. And look, I don't know or pretend to be an expert in the field of psychology or psychiatry, but I think that Antonio Brown is mentally ill. I think that he may well have mental illness made worse by CTE. I also understand... Like, for instance, Eddie on the show, and I'll bring in the crew here in a moment. Eddie Garcia's point is just, what happened to just being an ass? <laughs> some people are just bad human beings. And I understand that some of you just believe that Antonio Brown is a bad human being. And, uh, and and there's certainly an argument there. I think that things have gotten worse. And again, one of the stories of our era and one of the stories, I think, of our generation Is going to be not realizing how toxic social media is and has been, and maybe will be going forward. And, uh, you know, I think throughout human history, we hadn't really dealt with the immediacy of social media. And some people can handle it, other people cannot. And I think for Antonio Brown, social media has cost him tens of millions of dollars. I think if social media had never existed, he would have been able to, in some way, finish out his career. But I think Antonio Brown is a racist. I think he is a bad human being right now in the way that he is behaving. I think that uh, that he is setting a tremendously awful example for his young children, who I feel bad for. I think that anybody who is connected to Antonio Brown has become polluted, and I can't believe that anybody is ever going to allow him to play in the NFL ever again. And I can't help but think... That if he had never been Antonio Brown, business is booming, the guy who gets on Instagram and Twitter and sends all sorts of crazy comments out into the universe every single day, that he might well have been able to finish his career as a productive wide receiver. And maybe this behavior would have reared itself once his career was over. But in general, I just uh, I can't imagine that he's going to have any kind of future going forward. What happens, Danny G? Like what? What? I mean, I almost feel like should we just start ignoring him? Are we part of the problem in the rubbernecking universe out there to look at him because he doesn't understand the difference between good and bad attention? And when you're addicted to something, it all looks the same. And so maybe we're a part of the problem by giving any oxygen at all to Antonio Brown. But I feel like that story was out there, and it needs to be addressed the way that he behaved on that video.
4: Well, if this was next season and we were still talking about him and he wasn't on a team, then I would agree with that. But no, he just recently played for the Patriots this past season. Uh, Of course, you and others thought that the Patriots would bring him back. Now they they look good for not making that decision.
3: I don't think he can ever play in the NFL again.
4: It's looking that way, and it's also looking like he's going to be broke within five years, the way Uh, he's acting.
3: Also, I, I feel like if he got another opportunity on an NFL team, he would destroy it.
4: Oh, he would blow it in a heartbeat. They would ask him like you've been asking him to stay off of social media. He wouldn't do it. He would jump on Twitter and Instagram the next day and say something wrong and do something wrong. That's just who he is. So I think now that we know exactly who this guy is, yeah, it would be good going forward to just ignore him. What do you think, Dub? Where does this story go?
1: Well, I'd be curious to see his odds of actually playing in the
6: NFL next season from like a Vegas odds maker or something. Yeah. I'd be curious to know what are. I mean, those you know are. it's
3: bad when uh, one of the offshore said uh, you can bet on whether or not he's going to get arrested in 2020. You know, yeah, that's your, never a your, good sign. your life has spiraled out of control when odds makers are setting. And by the way, they set seven to one odds that he would be arrested. And immediately, a ton of people went in and started betting that he would be arrested. And the line dropped, I think, down to like three to one. So there's a lot of people out there who I, I don't know where this story goes from from here. I, I arrest is certainly a possibility. Uh, I, I think that uh, that that the story is not tr- trending in a good direction. Um, and I, I don't know how he sort of puts his world back in order.
6: Yeah, it's hard for me to imagine him back on an NFL roster next year or even beyond that, the way it things are trending right now.
3: Yeah. Uh, Eddie, what would you do? I mean, are we, are we making things worse by paying attention? Should we ban Antonio Brown discussion <laughs> from the show
1: at this point? Well, I mean, but we are probably a part of the problem. But, I mean... That's what we do. We talk about things that are perplexing and interesting and w- that we're curious about and we we just shake our head at. I mean, that's kind of part of what we do. I don't know that it's realistic for us to just ignore it, but it is it's he is like the little kid uh, who throws a fit in the middle of the grocery store, you know, if everyone just kind of ignored him, he probably would stop doing it, but I don't know that that's realistic.
3: And also, I mean again, his audience as it were. I mean, I have no idea how many people follow him on Instagram. Uh, but he's pretty active there, and so it kind of feeds into this idea. And you said you think he's just a bad dude. Like you don't buy into the mental illness, you don't buy into the CTE. You think he's just a bad guy.
1: That's that's the way I feel about it. Now, if I see something else that might, it's possible I could see something else that will change my mind. But as it stands right now, that's what I believe in, and and that's the the thing. This isn't the last thing we're going to see coming from Antonio Brown this offseason. I I still think. If it were somehow possible for him to just stop social media, I think he would get another chance. But it's I. There's yeah. no way. That's what I he said from stop. the get go. I, I said know. if you're
3: going to sign him, the number one rule you have to give him is you cannot post on Instagram. You can't post on Twitter. You can't say anything uh, other than you know you do a two minute availability. Don't say anything. Uh, just go out and play. And I, I feel like that's what's so disappointing about this situation in general is he is a clear example of someone who has been cost tens of millions of dollars by social media and I feel like a lot of athletes argue we haven't talked about until today the latest Antonio Brown ridiculousness um, and uh, that was because uh, and Danny G you can speak to this like I said no 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 we're not going to dive into the Antonio Brown stuff when there's actual games to discuss. Monday, we did effectively three hours all about the four divisional round playoff games in the NFL and talking a little bit about the upcoming uh, games for uh, for the, the title game between Clemson and LSU while I was down in New Orleans. Yesterday, in New Orleans, we did the the show all about LSU's big win, Joe Burrow, everything surrounding that game and i said go ahead and cut up the antonio brown audio we will discuss it when we come back on wednesday we did it an hour one for those of you who didn't hear this did this get a lot of play uh, i don't know cuz i didn't have my television on very much while i was traveling in new orleans and everything else was this uh, was this video shared and discussed a lot on television uh, around uh, around antonio brown
4: yeah it seemed like it was on a one day delay But it has been discussed.
3: Okay. So, because I, I, again, sometimes when you're on the road, and I feel like I'm on the road a lot, um, you know, especially when you're at a big game, you're kind of all in on the game there. And by the way, I should mention we'll be live for a week down in South Florida at the uh, convention center for uh, for the Super Bowl in just a couple of weeks. And we're going to be talking about the AFC and the NFC Championship games a lot on Thursday and Friday on uh, this program as we get ready for Titans Chiefs. As well as Packers, 49ers, uh, the final two uh, games, uh, final two games on Sunday, and then we just got the Super Bowl left. So there's only three games left in the NFL. But a guy who had been such a huge part of the NFL, and honestly, a guy who started off the season and impacted the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Oakland Raiders, the uh, the New England Patriots, all of them in some way in this year in the Saints, frankly, because he came in for a tryout recently. Even the Bills. Yeah, the Bills. Good point. Because the Bills, uh, I'm probably thinking they're lucky stars that they didn't end up uh, actually going through with that uh, trade. But it seems increasingly likely that Antonio Brown has allowed his his off-the-field behavior to derail his on-the-field career. And after this video... I don't see any way that Antonio Brown is ever going to be employed in the NFL again. And look, there have been a lot of different elements where you could say this is not good for Antonio Brown's career, but I think we've actually reached the point where virtually no one anywhere will defend anything going on with Antonio Brown this is what happened. Here's the scene. If you haven't heard this audio, and it's it's a little bit graphic, so if you've got young kids, you can turn down the, the the radio a little bit, but I want you to hear it so you know what actually is going on. Antonio Brown has the police arrive at his home in Hollywood, Florida for a dispute that he's involved in with uh, with his the, the mother of his children, and uh, he is screaming and yelling and insulting uh, the police officers who have showed up at his property here is what that sounds like.
5: People can't do nothing. You f- white fish ball. Get the f- out of here, you bitch. Come on, Polo. Get the f- out of here. The police can't help me. You bitch ass law. Get the f- out of here, you put. Get the out of here. Get the f- on f- my property, you put. F- Get out of here. I love you, Poppy. I love you. Go in them bitch ass police. Get the f- out of here. Bitch ass little cop. Look at the little cop. You wish you could take me, you bitch ass out of here yeah get in the back of the police car fishbowl and you ain't leaving with shit. bitch get the out of here you bum ass the like bitch trying to come to steal bitch you're gonna leave in the police car shit out of here hollywood police get the out of here bitch get out of here shit out of here shit can't even get my key get the out of here ass-
3: i think we kind of get the end in- this is streaming live on instagram uh, there's a collection of police officers that came to Antonio Brown's home. Uh, his, his, uh, the mother of his children is there. He's insulting her. His little kids are there as well. I mean, this is just a career that's gone completely off the rails. And I think we owe an apology to Ben Roethlisberger. I think we owe an apology to Mike Tomlin. This guy has lost his marbles. He's lost his mind. And the only person, by the way... We'll open up phone lines if anybody out there in America is still willing to defend Antonio Brown. The only person I saw that said anything positive about Antonio Brown at all was actually just somebody who said, oh, Clay Travis, he's talking bad about black athletes. Very fitting for a racist Trump-supporting jackass. Now, I don't know. uh, That's the uh, the only positive in any way I heard for Antonio Brown. Wouldn't it be racist if I didn't talk bad about Antonio Brown because he's black? If you listen to the radio show very often, or you listen to me in general, what I try to do is treat everybody the exact same. And there is a bigotry of low expectations when you don't criticize someone because of their race. Regardless of whether Antonio Brown is Asian, Hispanic, black, white, mixed, whatever he is, this is inappropriate behavior. And I think one of the things that we've kind of created in the world of sports is people are afraid of saying what they actually think because they're afraid somebody out there is going to be like, oh, that's racist. Well, Antonio Brown is a clown, regardless of what color he is. And his treatment of police is, frankly, unacceptable. And I think we need to get back to establishing standards of behavior for all people Athletes, non-athletes, rich, poor, just basic standards of human decency. And Antonio Brown right now doesn't rise up to the level of basically human decent. I mean, regardless of who he's treating and who he's talking to, whether it's a police officer or just a normal person who is out on the street outside of his property. And I think this is a cautionary tale in general because Antonio Brown seems to believe that that he is the star of some sort of contorted reality show. And uh, and there certainly is a, I would say, like almost a, a fascination, ghoulish sort of fascination with watching a traffic accident. You know how when you're on the road, as you drive by, if there's a bad traffic accident, even after it's been cleared off the side of the road, traffic moves slowly. People want to rubberneck. They want to look off to the side of the road and see that disaster because there's a perverse attraction to seeing something bad happen. That's what Antonio Brown is right now. People are slowing down as they drive past and kind of looking over at him, rubbernecking askance in disbelief over what he's done to his life. And I think it's a really cautionary tale because social media, I think, has fed into whatever derangement he's got in his mind right now. And it's led him to believe that he is the star of his own uh, really perverse reality show. And in some way that's true because he's got the ability to walk around outside of his house on Instagram Live as he's screaming at police officers and showing the seedy underbelly of his drama in his life. The problem is, I think he's lost all grip on reality because I don't even think he realizes how bad he looks to people whose brains function in a normal way. And look, I don't know or pretend to be an expert in the field of psychology or psychiatry, but I think that Antonio Brown is mentally ill. I think that he may well have mental illness made worse by CTE. I also understand... Like, for instance, Eddie on the show, and I'll bring in the crew here in a moment. Eddie Garcia's point is just, what happened to just being an ass? <laughs> some people are just bad human beings. And I understand that some of you just believe that Antonio Brown is a bad human being. And uh, and then there's certainly an argument there. I think that things have gotten worse. And again, one of the stories of our era and one of the stories I think of our generation Is going to be not realizing how toxic social media is and has been and maybe will be going forward and uh, you know I think throughout human history we hadn't really dealt with the immediacy of social media and some people can handle it other people cannot and I think for Antonio Brown social media has cost him tens of millions of dollars I think if social media had never existed he would have been able to, in some way, finish out his career. But I think Antonio Brown is a racist. I think he is a bad human being right now in the way that he is behaving. I think that, uh, that he is setting a tremendously awful example for his young children, who I feel bad for. I think that anybody who is connected to Antonio Brown has become polluted, and I can't believe that anybody is ever going to allow him to play in the NFL ever again and I can't help but think that if he had never been Antonio Brown, business is booming, the guy who gets on Instagram and Twitter and sends all sorts of crazy comments out into the universe every single day, that he might well have been able to finish his career as a productive wide receiver. And maybe this behavior would have reared itself once his career was over. But in general, I just uh, i can't imagine that he's going to have any kind of future going forward. What happens, Danny G? Like what? What? I mean, I almost feel like should we just start ignoring him? Are we part of the problem in the rubbernecking universe out there to look at him because he doesn't understand the difference between good and bad attention? And when you're addicted to something, it all looks the same. And so maybe we're a part of the problem by giving any oxygen at all to Antonio Brown. But I feel like that story was out there and it needs to be addressed the way that he behaved on that video.
4: Well, if this was next season and we were still talking about him and he wasn't on a team, then I would agree with that. But no, he just recently played for the Patriots this past season. Uh, Of course, you and others thought that the Patriots would bring him back. Now they they look good for not making that decision.
3: I don't think he can ever play in the NFL again.
4: It's looking that way, and it's also looking like he's going to be broke within five years, the way he's Uh, acting.
3: Also, I, I feel like if he got another opportunity on an NFL team, he would destroy
4: it. Oh, he would blow it in a heartbeat. They would ask him like you've been asking him to stay off of social media. He wouldn't do it. He would jump on Twitter and Instagram the next day and say something wrong and do something wrong. That's just who he is. So I think now that we know exactly who this guy is, yeah, it would be good going forward to just ignore him. What do you think, Dub? Where does this story go?
1: Well, I'd be curious to see his
6: odds of actually playing in the NFL next season from like a Vegas odds maker or something. Yeah. I'd be curious to know what are. I mean, those you know are. it's
3: bad when uh, one of the offshore said uh, you can bet on whether or not he's going to get arrested in 2020. You know, your your life has spiraled out of control when odds makers are setting. And by the way, they set seven to one odds that he would be arrested. And immediately, a ton of people went in and started betting that he would be arrested. And the line dropped, I think, down to like three to one. So there's a lot of people out there who I I don't know where this story goes from from here. I I, arrest is certainly a possibility. Uh, I think that uh, that that the story is not trending in a good direction um and i i don't know how he sort of puts his world back in order
6: yeah it's hard for me to imagine him back on an nfl roster next year or even beyond that the way it things are trending right now
3: yeah uh, eddie what would you do i mean are we are we making things worse by paying attention should we ban antonio brown discussion huh. from the show at this point
1: well i mean but we are probably a part of the problem but i mean that's what we do. We talk about things that are perplexing and interesting and that we're curious about and we we just shake our head at. I mean, that's kind of part of what we do. I don't know that it's realistic for us to just ignore it, but it is it's he is like the little kid uh, who throws a fit in the middle of the grocery store, you know, if everyone just kind of ignored him, he probably would stop doing it, but I don't know that that's realistic.
3: And also, I mean again, his audience as it were. I mean, I have no idea how many people follow him on Instagram. Uh, but he's pretty active there, and so it kind of feeds into this idea. And you said you think he's just a bad dude. Like you don't buy into the mental illness, you don't buy into the CTE. You think he's just a bad guy.
1: That's that's the way I feel about it. Now, if I see something else that might, it's possible I could see something else that will change my mind. But as it stands right now, that's what I believe in, and and that's the the thing. This isn't the last thing we're going to see coming from Antonio Brown this offseason. I I still think. If it were somehow possible for him to just stop social media, I think he would get another chance. But it's I. There's yeah. no way. That's what I he said from stop. the get go. I, I said know. if you're
3: going to sign him, the number one rule you have to give him is you cannot post on Instagram. You can't post on Twitter. You can't say anything uh, other than you know you do a two minute availability. Don't say anything. Uh, just go out and play. And I, I feel like that's what's so disappointing about this situation in general is he is a clear example of someone who has been cost tens of millions of dollars by social media and I feel like a lot of athletes are getting sold the bill of goods that their brand matters you know like that they want to be about something other than athletics but the only brand that matters is your athletic excellence how many people are so good at something other than athletics that they matter for their brand. I mean, there are rel- there's like a handful of guys that matter after their career is over because they're so compelling even when they're not playing the sport. In other words, I feel like they're getting sold the wrong bill of goods here. All that matters is your athletic brand. And your brand is your excellence on the field, on the court, wherever it may be. This idea that you need to build your brand elsewhere If you're the best wide receiver in the NFL, your brand is huge because people like the NFL and they like wide receivers. You don't need to build your brand elsewhere. The reason why people care about you is because of your athletics. And so I think Antonio Brown somewhere along the line, and maybe it's his narcissism. Maybe it is. There's some form of mental illness there that is made worse and magnified. But, I mean, we've seen this happening, right? Like, it was, it's was, it been, like, drip by drip. And the decision, for instance, when he went, remember when he posted, like, the old DM from Juju Smith-Schuster, like, which seems like a long time ago and seems so innocuous in the grand scheme of things, or when he turned on the uh, Facebook live stream, Inside the locker room, and you got Mike Tomlin talking about how they were going to go. I think right after they beaten the Chiefs, they were going to go somewhere else and kick somebody's ass, and like all these things. If you just kind of add them up, they're leading towards what we saw happen with the Instagram uh, video on Monday. But it's just a, it's a really bad trajectory. Where does it end, Roberto?
7: You know, like well, like you say, we we can't ignore it. It's like a, it's like a car wreck on the highway, right? We always turn around turn our heads to see what happened, and it's the same with Antonio Brown right now. I think we want to see how this thing ends. I don't think it's going to end up good. I think it's, he's going to end up broke. And I, I just hope that, you know, that his kids are, are somehow taken care of in, in some way and hope that his kids are no longer won't be with them anymore because what, what he was saying in, in front of them is not good. Kids pick up on everything, man.
3: Yeah, it's a mess. It's, it's ugly uh, and unfortunate uh, playing the sport. In other words... I feel like they're getting sold the wrong bill of goods here. All that matters is your athletic brand. And your brand is your excellence on the field, on the court, wherever it may be. This idea that you need to build your brand elsewhere. If you're the best wide receiver in the NFL, your brand is huge. Because people like the NFL and they like wide receivers. You don't need to build your brand elsewhere. The reason why people care about you is because of your athletics. And so I think Antonio Brown, somewhere along the line, and maybe it's his narcissism, maybe it is, there's some form of mental illness there that is made worse and magnified. But I mean, we've seen this happening, right? Like it was, it's been like drip by drip. And the decision, for instance, when he went, remember when he posted like the old DM from Juju Smith-Schuster, like, which seems like a long time ago and seems so innocuous in the grand scheme of things, or when he turned on the uh, Facebook live stream inside the locker room and you got Mike Tomlin talking about how they were going to go, I think right after they'd beaten the Chiefs, they were going to go somewhere else and kick somebody's ass. And like all these things, if you just kind of add them up, they're leading towards what we saw happen with the Instagram uh, video on Monday, but it's just a, it's a really bad trajectory. Where does it end, Roberto?
7: you know like well like you say we we can't ignore it it's like a, it's like a car wreck on the highway right we always turn around and turn our heads to see what happened and it's the same with Antonio Brown right now I think we want to see how this thing ends i don't think it's going to end up good i think it's he's going to end up broke and i i just hope that you know that his kids are are somehow taken care of in, in some way and hope that his kids are no longer won't be with them anymore cuz what what he was saying in, in front of them, is not good. Kids pick up on everything, man.
3: Yeah, it's a mess. It's it's ugly uh, and unfortunate.
0: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the
2: iHeartRadio app.
3: Rolling into our number two, we haven't talked a lot about this story so far, but Major League Baseball has got a major scandal associated with uh, sign stealing, uh, however you want to quantify it, and uh, this is something that's kind of happened behind the scenes for a long time, and it's exploded onto the public stage here in the last several months. Uh, The Houston Astros have fired their manager and their GM, now the Boston Red Sox have fired their manager, John Morosi is our Major League Baseball insider and he usually joins us during Major League Baseball season, but this is such a big story. We decided to bring him in and find out what he thinks about this story. So I uh, appreciate you coming in with us, uh, John Morosi. Uh, how surprised are you by this and what is the uh, what is the read right now in Major League Baseball? Is the story effectively over? or is this just getting started because if the Astros and the Red Sox were doing it, Maybe there were a lot of other teams that were doing something similar as well.
9: Well, Clay, good morning. Yeah, it's been certainly a tough week for Major League Baseball, and and uh, we don't yet have the full report on the Red Sox. Of course, we saw the news yesterday about Alex Cora being let go, but uh, we have not seen the final penalties handed down uh, to the Red Sox for the allegations of their uh, improprieties with regard to sign-stealing allegations from the 2018 season when they won the World Series uh, as well just as the Astros did the, the previous season. Um, it, it really is a, a time in the game where we don't know what happens next. Uh, I, I, I go back to the initial revelation uh, in 2018 where the Astros were found to be stationing someone next to the dugout um, in an effort to record any efforts by the opposition to steal signs, uh, and at that time, uh, reports say the Astros believe there were multiple teams trying to steal signs against them, and that was why they put a, uh, an official next to the dugout in an effort to try to discern what was happening uh, there 's never been any teams named specifically uh, in that instance, but uh, and I should note that MLB at this moment, I was told this week by a source there is no active investigation happening besides the one into the Red Sox at this moment in time. But, Clay, to your point, uh, it's just based on the odds and based on uh, what we know so far about uh, how prevalent this was with just those two teams that won the World Series. Um, it, you do have that natural fear that uh, perhaps it is not just limited to uh, two of the last three World Series champions. We just simply don't have any specifics beyond that.
3: Are the punishments uh, severe and significant enough to, uh, to 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 rise to what I think most people would agree is a fairly high level of cheating? Has baseball done enough?
9: Yes, they have. And first of all, the financial component, Clay. The maximum penalty that you could actually levy against a team is $5 million. and That's what MLB did against the Astros. So they gave them the maximum fine. They took away their first and second round picks in each of the next two drafts. That is a significant penalty, especially when you consider that it also removes uh, the signing bonus allocation that goes with those picks. So really it, it, it minimizes the ability of those franchises to improve their farm systems. Over the next couple of years, so that is a very significant penalty. Uh, and then I think for the for the managers and, and management uh, themselves, um, that's a very severe penalty. Uh, of course, uh, the one-year suspension for Jeff Luno and AJ Hinch, and then uh, just an hour afterward, uh, after that was levied, then they were both let go. And Alex Cor was just fired yesterday. So you've got three pretty prominent leaders in the game all being dismissed in the same week and that's a that's a pretty significant um, uh, bit of news and and for them they're going to have to find ways uh, if they choose to try to get back into the game i think jeff luno's task will be difficult uh the astros were already a very controversial organization uh based on the way they treated people in in numerous instances both internally externally um, over the last several years i i do think Clay, that AJ Hinch will manage again in the big leagues. I really do. Uh, he was not uh, instrumental in the construction of of this scheme. Uh, he, by his own admission, did not do enough to stop it. But he was not one of the to, to use the term masterminds of this of this plot. Uh, whereas Alex Cora was mentioned uh, more than ten times in the report, um, and so he was very integral to the process. And uh, I, I do think it'll be a little harder for Alex Cora to re-enter the game in comparison to what A.J. Angel will experience.
3: What about players? Uh, none of them have been named uh, in terms of penalties so far. Do you think the players themselves are mostly going to escape blame in this story?
9: I do. They'll escape blame with regard to actual punishment from MLB for a couple reasons. I think first and foremost, when the initial Apple Watch... Uh, Incident came out in, in the fall of 2017 where the Red Sox were using an Apple Watch in uh, an attempt to uh, steal signs back then. MLB released a statement saying that uh, the commissioner was going to hold responsible the field manager and the general manager of teams going forward uh, as the people who are most responsible and really the only people responsible for making sure that similar instances were not transpiring in the future. And that is why A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luno, for example, were were disciplined as harshly as they were. So the onus is clearly on management, field management and and front office management. The other part is um, that... At this moment in time, any player that would be disciplined, there would almost certainly be a grievance process and It seems as though baseball, I believe correctly, does not want to go down that road because then you then you're not really sure uh how much of a penalty has to be levied for simply knowing about uh uh, misdeeds in terms of science dealing and not reporting it or being an active participant in them, uh, it, it really is a, a slippery slope that, that you could begin down in that regard. I do think broadly speaking clay and this is where the game is going to be uh, i think reckoning with this for a long period of time. what do you do? How do you view the legacies of the players with Houston and potentially Boston that have obtained their significant numbers in the game and won awards at a time when the team is now found to be cheating. And and what does that mean for them in the Hall of Fame? And, and candidly, Clay, I, I don't know what I will do yet. Uh, but this is why, when we talk about what a transformative incident this is in the game, when names like Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman come up on your Hall of Fame ballot years from now, you're going to think about this, and, and you're going to have to contemplate what happened, um, to what extent their numbers were um, accelerated by what was going on, and you're going to have to sit down and really think about it. I, I, at this point in time, I, I need some more perspective on it. I'm glad that we have a lot of time to think about it, uh, because those are two names that when I think about them, it, or, or when I've thought about them in the last couple of years, I've said, yeah, these guys have a chance to go to the Hall of Fame, and I'm a voter, so I have to think about that. And candidly, I don't know. I just don't know, Clay, yet uh, where I'm going to come down on that because it really does bring you into a very murky place with regard to players' legacy.
3: And potentially how those guys do going forward will matter, right? because if yeah. their numbers are very similar to what they were beforehand, maybe the actual impact of this uh, this benefit that they got wasn't as substantial. But if they now drop off uh, much more substantially, then I think there uh, there could be even more of a uh, of an analysis there. okay. So I have a lot of people, at least in my mentions reacting to the major League Baseball cheating scandal by saying to them, this just brings back home again why Pete Rose was banned for life for what he did when, uh, and and I'm curious if you get any of this in terms of the way people respond to you, Uh, now that sports gambling is effectively legal. uh, I don't think we want to open up the Pandora's box of players being encouraged to bet on themselves actually, but they are encouraged to bet on themselves all the time you know if you don't sign a contract and you decide to hit free agency you're betting on yourself um betting on yourself to win seems to many people out there including me to be much less significant of a wrongdoing than what has happened here do you buy into that if you're trying to put these on a culpability scale and assess blame that this somehow when you look at the relatively Minor penalties, I would say. I mean, uh, you know, getting fired, a one-year suspension. Uh, they're not being banned. They're not being, uh, re, you know, excluded from baseball for life. Compared to Pete Rose, that seems pretty substantial.
9: I, I disagree, just in, in the sense that you, you consider Clay Rule Twenty-One, the one against gambling, is posted clearly in every clubhouse, um, explicitly all throughout the major leagues any any player who enters the game understands uh, what transpired with the Black Sox uh, all those years ago and I realize that uh, betting on yourself to win is a bit different than than, uh, than throwing a World Series but I think especially as a manager it really undermines the competitive integrity of the game because you can obviously if you have a, a day when you've got action on the game you're going to manage it a little differently perhaps than when you don't. Uh, and so that that Undermines the competitive integrity of the game from a st- from that standpoint. I-, I think this was a for at least through 2017 the, the, until the Apple Watch statement came out and the commissioner made his statement. There was some ambiguity in the minds of some players, apparently, what was okay to do and what was not. I I just I think that trying to gain an advantage, as uh, obviously as nefarious as it is does not rise to that level of of actually gambling on the game itself it is it is trying to obtain an advantage similar to what you see uh, with performance enhancing drugs I, I i think there's there's a much tighter analogy to be made between this instance and peds than the instance of science stealing and gambling on baseball—it's just it, to me that's that is the, the closer cousin, if you will—and that's why, honestly, you look at the, the managerial punishments. And right now, the, the punishments for PEDs is uh, it's now a half season, and then uh, up from there. And I think that the, a full season for a manager who was uh, proximate to sign stealing, I think, is is in the same realm of what uh, is a fair punishment.
3: You know, when I watch this. Um and see the way this played out. It seems so like the the banging on the trash cans to to let people know what pitches are coming. It seems so rudimentary, you know, like so very like open and basic. Uh, is it crazy for me to think like you talk about the Apple Watch, for instance? Uh, what about like having a uh, in you know in 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 major in in the NFL? We have uh, helmets with little, uh, with little, uh, you know, ability to talk. Right? Mm-hmm. Why would there not be something like that potentially that you need to look into? In other words, how much of an edge do you think Major League Baseball teams are working for? In other words, would it shock you if somebody had in their helmet like an ability to hear the same way they do in Major League Baseball? Hey, you're getting tipped off on pitches. It seems like that could be a huge advantage instead of just banging on trash cans. In other way, in other words, are some teams smarter and doing the same thing and just not getting caught?
9: I, I don't think Clay that that anybody has gone to that length of actually installing a communication device in a helmet. I, I think that um, again, this is we are in very much uncharted territory here. But I, I would be surprised if a team had tried to do that. Um, but. The reality is, we don't know what other steps were taken by different clubs, if any, um, to do and try to achieve. But it seems the same you would thing.
3: agree; like it seems strange that only these two teams would be doing it.
9: Correct, and that's and, and obviously we're we're speaking about them because they're two of the last three World Series champions, and there have been allegations brought forward on on both of them. I, I, I have no specific teams to mention. That that has that have been told to me that oh this team was cheating or that team was cheating I don't know I, I really don't know but I am I am I bracing for the possibility that potentially other teams were involved in this sure uh, I I think there's there is a natural concern here that that we who love the game don't know where this story ends we just don't and. Uh, I think for anyone to say that on this day, oh, well, as soon as the Red Sox discipline is announced, then the situation is over for good. We can't say that. We simply don't know, um, and and that's why this is such a a, a murky time in the game's history. Um, and and I, I think it, I credit the commissioner's office for a, a very thorough investigation. I have no doubt that if anything else came up, they would also investigate that thoroughly. Uh, but there certainly has to be a lot of fear. Um, of what could happen next because right now you've got two of the of the marquee franchises in the sport whose achievements over the last three years um, have now been clouded and and certainly um, called into question and and that is a very very difficult time for the game. You, you, you really kind of compare it um, to what maybe the Patriots have, have gone through at different times in their history, and, and um, I think Bob Costas made this point the other day on the movie Network. The, the Patriots, at least, are, are insulated by some extent in this by the sheer number of championships they won, yeah. um, and, and whereas with the Astros, they won it once. And, um, and that was during the year in which we now know this was going on, and, and that really clouds the legacy of that team and oh by the way clay that we, they were nine outs away from in game seven of the world series this, this past season 2019 from us talking about all these things concerning the reigning world series champions which takes the which would have taken this conversation to a whole nother octave so um it really is a, a complicated time for the game
3: good stuff as always appreciate you coming on to uh, to talk about this story and uh, look forward to talking to you again somewhere down the line
9: Sounds great, Clay. Uh, happy to hear to you and your family, and look forward to catching up again soon.
3: Yeah, enjoy the uh, the off season, as it were.
0: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
3: Joined now by our NBA insider, Chris Mannix, at SI Chris Mannix. As we come up on the midway point of the NBA season, uh, there are a lot of intriguing stories to follow, and I think actually one of the best, I just came back from New Orleans, and I know there was a lot of talk about Zion and how much he was going to mean, and maybe we'll get to him in a second. But John Morant, who was the overall number two pick in the draft, has been a revelation for the Grizzlies so far this year. Chris, I mean, I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, he has just uh, defied all expectations. I mean, he I know it because, he, again, he's in Memphis. Maybe a lot of people haven't been paying attention to him, but he's like a young Russell Westbrook right now. Except people seem to actually like him.
6: Well, yeah, I mean, as a player, that was the comp for John Morant coming out of college—that um, the explosiveness, the athleticism—and yeah, you can certainly make the co- the the comment that he is—he's a likable Westbrook. Yeah, he's a likable version uh, than that. I mean, he's just been a revelation. I mean, he's got the Rookie of the Year award sewn up at the midway point of the season, and the Grizzlies. Inexplicably, are sitting right now in the number eight seed in the Western Conference. And look, they—I always say that being an NBA general manager is not rocket science. You can talk about the analytics and, and and everything about it, but if you draft well, you succeed. It's as simple as that. And the Grizzlies hit on John Morant. They hit a year prior on Jaron Jackson. They they dipped into the assistant coaching ranks to find a really good head coach instead of just. Kind of going with a basketball retread or a veteran that had been a more knowable name, and and they found something there. And now with that foundation in place, it's it's all about kind of building it out. I I said this on Twitter last night. I'm I'm almost wondering if they recall Andre Iguodala from exile to bring him back before the the end of the season. I mean, Iguadala was kind of mutually sent away, uh, you know, with the idea that. You know, they'll, they'll find a trade partner for him, and he didn't really want to be around a team that was rebuilding. But they're not rebuilding anymore. They're a playoff team right now. And if you can't find a trade partner for Iguodala, who makes a considerable amount of money, is it not worth it to bring him back and, you know, put a playoff, you know, a high-level playoff guy onto a playoff team?
3: I, I was reading an interesting study a story. I don't know if you saw it. It was talking about how, NBA Twitter artificially creates storylines and sometimes overlooks others, and it was a it was a really fascinating study. One of my buddies, Pat Muldowney, who works at the Ringer in social, shared it, uh, and it looked at kind of a study on who gets tweeted about, who gets talked about, and how it's such a tiny pinprick of the overall league. And it said, for example, sometimes that leads to really good teams being overlooked, and I, and the reason why I use that as a prelude is. The Utah Jazz, uh, I think, are surprising a lot of people in that uh, halfway through the season, right now, they would be the number two seed overall in the West, and I bet you get asked about them not very much. I certainly don't see very many people tweeting about them. Uh, how good are they? Well,
6: they they got asked about early in the season because they underachieved. I mean, yeah. they they stunk out the joint. In you know, the the negative storyline was that Mike Conley. You know, wasn't fitting in. That you know, one of the biggest off-season moves wasn't working out, and Conley still has a lot to prove out there because he's injured right now. And when he comes back, we'll see. But, but the Jazz have become once again an elite defensive team. They slipped a little bit the first month and a half of the season, but they are once again at the top of the heap uh, defensively, and they're a real threat in the playoffs. I mean, everybody thought coming into this season that they were a dark horse team to get to the finals, and they have reemerged as that type of team, and. Look, defensively, they're going to get what they're going to get because they they got Rudy Gobert in the middle. But the big question about the Jazz is going to be when Conley comes back, what's their ceiling offensively? If it's the Mike Conley we saw for you know five, the last five, six years in Memphis, this team can be a top-ten offensive team as well. If it's the same Mike Conley that struggled with his shot in the first couple of months of the season, that just doesn't seem to have much chemistry with Donovan Mitchell, they're going to struggle, but they've got the pieces. Mitchell is great. Once again, uh, for people who don't watch Joe Ingles, he doesn't look like more than a YMCA player, but he's a terrific uh, uh, playmaker for that team, and, and Gobert's a monster. So you know that, that's one of those teams that if they can get it together offensively in the final two months of the season, uh, they're going to be real dangerous.
3: Does the seeding matter in the Western Conference because there's so many teams closely packed together? Like right now, what, there's a couple of games that separate effectively uh, number two seed all the way down to really kind of the six or seven, depending. Does it matter to these teams where, like for instance, right now the Clippers are the four seed, I think. Um, and obviously they've dealt with some injuries and uh, and they've rested Kawhi and everything else. Do the Clippers care where they're seated?
6: Yeah, no. I well, I think seeding matters for everyone but the Clippers. I mean, I, I think everyone else out there wants to get home court because I mean, look, you, you want it, the way these teams are kind of botched together, or put together. Uh, You're going to have a lot of Game 7s, I think, early in the playoffs. You want to have that Game 7 on your home floor. The Clippers doesn't really matter because we've seen Kawhi do this in the postseason. As long as he's 100% come playoff time, they're going to be happy. Plus, if they get to a conference finals, who cares if they're technically the home team? The Lakers, if they put the Lakers, they're not going to have as many fans as the Lakers are going to have in that building. So I think they just have to look at it and have looked at it like you Kawhi is going to play his 60-ish games, and if he's ready to go, we can play anywhere and beat anyone.
3: Uh, Luca continues to grow as a story. Right now, the Mavs are the sixth seed overall. Uh, what is the expectation for the second half of this season for Luka?
6: Well, I mean, Luca I think, will keep playing great. I mean, he's going to be on, uh, you know, he's not going to win MVP this year, but I think he'll finish in that top five. But Mavericks, though, is a team that have slipped. I mean, and it's kind of come back to... What we thought they were going to be, I think that's part, partly because their you know role players overachieved in the first three months of the season. They were had guys playing way over their heads, and Rick Carlisle was coaching the crap out of that team, and and that's what kept them in that number one or number two or three spot early on. They've slipped in the last month, but that doesn't change what Luka is. He is, you know, you, you talk about those league pass rankings people look at on Twitter, and you know John Morant's up there. It turned Memphis into a must-watch for the hardcore basketball fans. and Luca's must-watch pretty much for everybody else so I think the expectation is he continues to play extremely well individually but I, I think that the Mavericks their ceiling as a team is probably somewhere in between that four to seven range
3: we're talking to Chris Mannix at SI Chris Mannix the Bucks have the best record in basketball right now they are sitting at 36 and 6 19 and 2 at home but impressively 17 and 4 on the road as well how prohibitive of a favorite at the halfway point should you make them in the Eastern Conference
6: oh I think they're a runaway favorite. I'm going to be there tomorrow uh, when they play Boston in kind of a uh, litmus test type of game for the Celtics, but I mean they, they they don't they don't show any flaws right now and the argument you can make against the bucks is that Eric Bledsoe is not good in the playoffs. it hasn't been, and unlike last year they don't have a Malcolm Brogdon to back them up but They've got other guys that have played pretty well. Pat Connaughton's played well. Wesley Matthews has played pretty well. And, and that's just a sort of a minor flaw on a great Eastern Conference team. I think the Bucks, and I've had this conversation with Bucks front office officials where they're just kind of looking around to see if anybody, one of their competitors, makes a big deal to kind of put them in their class. If If a Boston team gets a big man or Miami goes out and acquires Kevin Love, that could kind of... You know, get them looking around and and wondering if there really is a threat to them. But right now, I think the Bucks are are as the as the Eastern Conference teams are currently constituted. There's there's nobody in their class at the moment.
3: It doesn't seem like there's any kind of rush to get Anthony Davis back. But uh, what do you hear about his health and uh, how are the Lakers going to handle it?
6: Yeah, it, it from what I heard, and I, it was a couple of days ago. I last checked in. It's it's day to day and. And as you said, there's not a huge rush to get him back, and I think there's a there's a decent argument to say let's just let him kind of ease back into it because he's played a lot of games already. He's battled a sore shoulder in the first half of the season, and there's really no need to to grind Anthony Davis out, even if it does cost you uh, a little bit in the seating department. Not to mention, you know, when Davis is out or LeBron's out, all of a sudden Kyle Kuzma wakes up and starts playing like NBA basketball once again. He's been kind of an enigma for that team early on. He was projected to be that sort of third, I don't want to call him a star, but sort of star-ish type of player alongside James and Davis. He hasn't been that, but in the games that one or both of them has missed, he's really played well. So as long as, as Kuzma's kind of awake, I'd, I'd definitely sit, Davis and even LeBron, some games because you've got to keep these guys fresh for the postseason.
3: Um Zion. I was just down in New Orleans for the national title game, uh, and uh, and there were still people, you know, kind of buzzing in the press box about Zion and when he's going to come back. What are you hearing about Zion? What are reasonable expectations for him for the second half of the season? And how much concern? I think the last time we talked, I asked this, but I do think it's a it's an intriguing question. How much concern going forward is there about Zion, who was supposed to be? Sort of the new face of the NBA, and uh, the only face we've seen of him is you know kind of falling asleep on the bench. Uh, the, the viral yeah. video, most recently.
6: Yeah, I think he's back pretty soon. The next couple of days or week from from, and I, that's more of me reading what's going on down there than than talking to anybody. But I, I think he's going to be back, and they'll ease him back into the lineup and and probably only play him 15, 20 minutes per game for a while. He tries to get his leg get his legs under him. What, what I'm most interested to see with Zion this year and beyond is just how he kind of adapts to being so top-heavy and so explosive playing an 82-game season. And I use Blake Griffin kind of as, as, as a cop for Zion. He's not the same body type, but it's another big power forward with a big upper body that explodes you know, to the rim and comes down pretty hard on those knees. And Blake Griffin, this year included, has had a number of knee problems that have derailed uh, his career. And Zion... You have to look at it and say, all right, Is is he going to have those same types of problems? How do we deal with the fact this guy comes down so hard and with so much weight at such a high angle on the those knees? And I think that's something worth watching. I I don't think it's panic time about Zion at this point, and I think teams way too quickly, you know, either you know get overreact to injuries or give up on players because of injuries. But that's something to watch with with Zion Williamson. How does he? Is he able to play 75, 80 games a year? with that type of style and with that type of body.
3: The Warriors have plummeted to a degree that I don't think anybody would have foreseen. They are sitting at 9-33 and 33 right now. Klay Thompson obviously working his way back from injury. Steph Curry's been injured. What is the plan going forward for the Warriors? Because it seems like they're too far out of even making a run at the postseason at this point. Even if anybody comes back healthy, do you even bother bringing Clay Thompson back at all this year? And what are they thinking about in the off season? What do you hear uh, the scuttlebutt about the Warriors at this point?
6: Yeah, I mean, uh, look, Clay is is is. I think he's ahead of schedule at this point, but. I think there has to be a conversation in the Warriors front office about just taking this year as a red shirt year and saying, Screw it, and collect as many ping pong balls for the lottery as you possibly can. I've I've said and written this before, but you know, when they get Clay and Steph back for next season, in the off season, you're gonna be able to dangle D'Angelo Russell in a top five pick in a trade and that's as appealing a trade package as you're gonna get out there. I mean, you conceivably could look around and maybe make a run if the Rockets fizzle out at James Harden. You could maybe make a run if the Sixers fizzle out at Ben Simmons, who I think would be a terrific fit uh, alongside Curry and Thompson in Golden State. I mean, imagine if that's the number one overall pick in the draft. I mean, that just—I I just think. Look, it's kind of one of those to to borrow a literature phrase. Close your eyes and think of England this season, and just say, you know, screw it. Let's just uh, let's just you know play out this season, deal with all the losses. You know, tell our fans to look up at the banners in the ceiling and remember those days, and come back next year with. With a new roster, so I I think it's if Clay pushes to come back, I don't think Steve Kerr in the front office would tell him no. I think Steph, you know, I, I he's timelines a little bit longer. He might uh, decide to sit the whole thing out, but you know, the Warriors their best you know chance for future success is to probably get as high a draft pick as possible. So maybe this year should just be a wash.
3: Do you buy into any of the Giannis rumors?
6: No, nah, I mean, because it's like you know Durant to New York, and we hear this every every time the guy's coming up with a contract extension. It's you know, player is definitely going to go to spot A. I mean, Gian, I think personally, I think Giannis. You know, Miami might be more of a threat than anybody else than Golden State. I mean, yeah, because you know, Pat Riley can recruit anybody and that culture is what it is the you reason why i bring it up chris is
3: my kids sit around and watch all these youtube you know discuss it's funny like they, they get all their sports news from youtube right so they sit and watch yeah. the youtube commentators and a big part of youtube commentation is not surprisingly you know the free agency market and so my mm-hmm. kids have been asking me like they're saying oh Giannis is going to go join the warriors and there's all the clips of you know the players talking and whispering to each other during the games and everything else do you buy into Giannis as a long-term buck or do you think that he wants out of Milwaukee?
6: I think, look, a lot of it, and not all of it, but a lot of it's predicated on how this season ends. If the Bucks get upset in the second round and Bledsoe stinks out the joint again, I'd be very nervous about Giannis turning down that contract extension. But if they get to the finals, knowing Giannis, I think that he stays in Milwaukee and signs that Supermax extension uh, this summer. And the Bucks have... I don't know. There's, there's literally nothing more the Bucks could do if they get to the finals. They have put an elite coach and Budenholzer around him that have got a great young GM in John Horst. I mean, they signed Giannis's freaking brother to the roster, and they'd be willing to sign the next one that comes up or even the other one that's yeah. down in Dallas or, or in L.A. right now. They just they give him whatever he wants. And, yeah. and I think that's more than enough for Giannis.
3: Uh, good stuff, Chris. Appreciate you getting up early with us. Uh, Chris Mannix, you can read him at SI. Chris Mannix,
0: thanks, man. You got it, Clay. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at FoxSportsRadio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times
6: here. I had a bulletin stricker stuck to my face. And
4: you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. All right, what you got for me? All right, let's start with a story that's been tweeted into us hundreds of times the past week. A Galapagos giant tortoise. Did you see this? Is this the
3: one that, like, saved his entire species? Yes.
4: He's estimated to be about 130 years old. His name is Diego. He is returning home to the island of Espanola. He was taken to the U.S. in the 20s, and he's been in our protection. In
3: 19- he's been here since the
4: 1920s? Yeah. Oh, wow. He spent 30 years at the San Diego Zoo in their breeding program. His species, Clay, from all the sex he had, went from 15 of his species to 2,000. So
3: he's basically saved the entire species. Yes. Pretty like, amazing. It's like every man's dream. You have to have sex to save the species. Uh, can
4: you imagine for over 100 years?
3: Yeah, that's pretty. I can't believe that he's been in the United States since the
4: 1920s. I know. It's crazy.
3: Yeah. Wow. Well, that is a, that's a very positive animal Thunderdome story.
4: All right, uh, this one you're not going to like so much. A massive snake bit a woman after coming out of the toilet.
3: This this keeps happening. Uh,
4: This happened in central Thailand last Sunday. The woman's daughter said that her mother went to use the toilet when the snake bit her as she sat down. My mother grabbed its head and tried to pull it off her body. The snake wouldn't let go. It started to wrap itself around my mother and squeezed tighter and tighter. She screamed for help. I ran and got a knife. However, while using the knife, my mom accidentally cut herself. Where? It doesn't say. Oh I no! I want to know. She somehow managed to get rid of the snake off of her body after cutting herself, too. Her son went and got a hammer. This
3: is like my worst nightmare.
4: Yeah. And they were able to hit this snake on the head several times and killed it. They're saying their mom is very brave. She was taken to the hospital, later released. She's doing okay now, but uh, obviously... She will
3: never use the bathroom for the rest (laughs) of her life. I I, I I I can't
4: imagine. I mean, here in the States, we're scared
3: of things like that. I bet this happened at night, too, would be my guess. And can you imagine if you're in your house and your mom is screaming... (laughs) In the middle of the night, not a good sign. Anytime somebody's screaming in the middle of the night, trust me, I got kids, never a good yeah. sign. Well, that's All what right.
4: I was going to say. It, it happens here in the States because my mom always had a nightlight in the bathroom. And that's the reason why. Not because she was trying to help us, because she was scared of something being in the toilet.
3: Yeah. Uh, I just, I mean, this is, I, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know that I'd ever go to the bathroom again if I got bitten by a snake.
4: All right. You might have seen this story. Uh, it's near you, a Kentucky woman has been charged with murder after she turned her pit bull loose on a man who died. Kentucky State Police responded to a call about a fatal dog attack in rural Rock Castle County last Friday morning. They were initially unable to help this man out because of the dog. Troopers finally shot and killed. One dog? Yeah. Wow. They They finally shot this dog in order to get access to the guy. They found Donald W. Abner, 55, dead with dog bites on his face and head. Melissa D. Woke, 38, was arrested. According to the arrest documents, Woke told police she was at home and went redneck on the man. The documents say that neighbors saw Woke punching Abner and commanding her dog to attack him. Troopers say that they got into some kind of uh, argument before Woke turned her dog on him they don't know what caused this fight between the two neighbors
3: yeah that's wild so did she train the dog beforehand or did the pit bull just automatically like obey her commands
4: sounds like she trained it especially the way she described going redneck on the guy
3: yeah by going redneck she meant told her dog to kill him yes yeah
4: god that's wow all right um welcome to kentucky How about Georgia? Georgia family say they returned home after a holiday vacation to find their home had been ransacked. They were confused because there was no, you know, there there was nothing was broken in as far as the front door or any windows. Carrie Dree said that she and her family received an alert while out of town that her alarm had been triggered. So they had a friend rush to their home in Buckhead to check on things her friend went to check it out and saw that no doors or windows were broken in so they just thought it was a software issue family gets home and they found over five thousand dollars worth of damage had been done inside the house it was a squirrel
3: the squirrel got inside the house in buckhead outside of atlanta
4: yeah they saw chippings from the door all over the floor and she says as we further inspected things All the windows and inside the doors had been damaged. Dries said they searched the home and discovered the squirrel sitting on their couch. She said the animal apparently came down through the chimney and couldn't find a way back out. So the squirrel was trying to make its way out of the house, which is why it was chewing every window and door from the inside trying to get out. Tough
3: break. Tough break. But at least of all the animals you could have found in there, that's one of the ones that would at least be the least scary. Although I'd be pretty terrified. I'd be like Christmas vacation squirrel when the squirrel's in the house. That's always uh,
0: dangerous. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Oh, 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 alright.